Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hi, this is Billie Jean King. This is Marion Bartoli. I'm Mats Villander. This is Mary Carrillo. This is Pam Shriver. This is Yannick Noah. Hi, this is Amy Helfeld from Seattle, Washington, and you are listening to my favorite podcast, The Tennis Podcast. Well, folks, it is 5 p.m. UK time on Monday evening. And as we come to you, myself, David and Matt, Novak Djokovic, the world number one and defending Australian Open champion is a free man. More on that in in a moment. First of all, a quick thank you to Amy, uh, who you heard there in our intro, Amy Helfeld. think I've said that right. Uh, And uh, she has also submitted the supplementary photo of her lovely dog, Clancy, um, which is not mandatory for people doing intros, but it is heavily encouraged if you do have a very cute dog. Uh, Clancy has a very uh, Billie Jean-esque vibe about her. So I very much appreciate that. So thank you, Amy. Uh, Back to the matter at hand, which um, eventually will be actual tennis we will I promise talk about actual tennis at some stage on this podcast but we do have to start with Novak Djokovic and the saga I know saga isn't a big enough word but um, for the moment we'll call it a saga as I say uh, as we come to you now he is a free man it is obviously Overnight in Melbourne, we understand that the immigration minister, Alex Hawke, has confirmed he is considering still cancelling Novak Djokovic's visa. He didn't do that on Monday evening, Melbourne time, following uh, the court hearing where Novak Djokovic and his lawyers were successful uh, in overturning the decision to deport him that was made mid last week. But the immigration minister does still hold the power to cancel his visa. As we come to you, uh, Novak Djokovic has hit at Melbourne Park. He's posted a picture of himself hitting with his team, I think, on the Margaret Court Arena. We've had a pretty bananas press conference from the Djokovic family, which we were told that Djokovic was going to appear at via video link. We didn't actually uh, hear from Djokovic himself. So all we've had is social media posts from him. Hey, this podcast could be out of date by the time you're listening to it, quite frankly. Uh, But we're doing our best to keep up with events and keep you 
up to date. I'm sure I've missed out loads there, David, um, because the drama has just come so thick and fast over the, the past few days. Yeah. Trying to find the right time, the right day and the right time of day to record these podcasts is is really challenging because we we have to actually edit it and and put it up and all the rest of it and as you say things just get overtaken so quickly the the hearing started 11 p.m. last night our time and i decided to go to bed and when i woke up at about 5:30 a.m. It was still nowhere near finished, and and a little insight into the lives and careers of people who do a different sort of reporting role from court hearings and all sorts of other things that, frankly, we don't have to do most of the time. It's just a, a tennis match might go on for five hours, and you've got lots to talk about, and then it's and then it's all very exciting. And thank the, goodness, because court hearings, it turns out, are extremely boring. Yeah, <laughs> I was very happy to just rely on a few <laughs> tweets to bring me up to date uh, this morning. And then throughout the morning, when eventually, and quite suddenly it seemed to me, the, the verdict came through that the judge, and he'd said during it, what what more could this man have done were were, were a couple of his really strong words and and he pr- pretty quickly brought the whole thing to a close um procedurally he just wasn't satisfied that things had been ha- handled right was he i mean that, yeah, that was the gist I, I, of it yeah i believe although other other issues were discussed at the hearing you know the when novak djokovic tested positive for for covid 19 circumstances surrounding that the documentation will come on come on to all of that but i understand and this is from um karen sweeney uh from the australian associated press one of uh a few journalists and reporters in australia including paul sakal for the age as well they've been doing just a fantastic job of reporting this extremely fast-moving story. Uh, I think she was glued to her desk for 14 hours yesterday. She reported that uh, it was a procedural error by the the border force that actually ended up being an issue in that proceeding. Novak Djokovic was told at 5.20am on the night that he was detained at the border that he could have until 8.30am to respond to what was being put to him. Um, And at 6.14am, he was asked for his comment. At 7.29am, the decision was made to cancel his visa. He was told of that decision at 7.42am. Judge Kelly, uh, in the hearing on Monday, said that if Djokovic had been given until 8.30am, he could have consulted others about the decision, and crucially, people like Tennis Australia, for example, who are um, heavily implicated, of course, in the whole situation. So uh, as much as there is so much more to this case than that procedural error as is so often the case in legal proceedings it has come down to to that procedural error now what will be being debated by Alex Hawke um, the immigration minister will be you know nothing to do with that it'll be the validity of Novak Djokovic's claim to this exemption and Matt (laughs) oh my goodness me it, it it doesn't feel like that long ago that you and I recorded that emergency podcast with with Simon and yet we know so much more now 
um, than we did at the time of recording. I look back on the the young, freshly hatched baby chicks that we were at the time of recording and how, how naive we were, how little, in fact, we did know. Yeah, well, I think crucially, we have had confirmation for the first time via the transcript which was released between Novak Djokovic and the border control. Novak Djokovic saying and in his own words, I am not vaccinated. I mean, we were pretty sure that was the case. And obviously he had his medical exemption. So we so we knew that. But that was the first time I think we've we've seen Djokovic say that. And of course, there are all sorts of questions which remain, which aren't actually to do with the hearing necessarily, that, but they remain for Djokovic to answer, I believe, over the coming days about his positive test, which we found out he had um, a PCR positive t- test on the 16th of December. There's then lots of posts on social media of him making public engagements on the 17th of December and also a photo shoot, I believe, with L'Equipe on the 18th of December, a couple of days later. So while he would have been positive for COVID-19, that has not been explained what he was doing at those events. Um, It's also not really been explained. Well, he applied for his visa for Australia in November. We know that. But then on what basis was he planning to be allowed entry into Australia because he wasn't vaccinated and he hadn't tested positive for COVID-19 at the time? So is it just a total coincidence that he tested positive on the 16th? I think that needs to be sort of talked about and explained from from Novak Djokovic in his own words as well. Mm. And when that was when that was queried today in the Djokovic family press conference, uh, the press conference was abruptly, abruptly ended. Um, yeah, I mean, we're now in a situation, David, where where one of two things must be true. Either Novak Djokovic did legitimately test positive for COVID-19 on the 16th of December, fortuitously, as 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 it would have turned out for him, you know, giving him this loophole um, to, to qualify for a medical exemption. Um and he then completely disregarded uh, rules and regulations uh, in place in Serbia and around the world and and just carried on as normal, uh, making maskless public appearances. Or there is something fishy about that positive test on December the 16th. We do not know. We do not know which of those things is true. But one of those things must be true. And neither of those scenarios is a good one. I suppose the only other scenario that is possible is that he didn't actually know yet when he made those appearances what his position was. Yes, no, we, yes, we, we the, do. The, we do know well, the results had come through, but did he know the result? Had he been communicated that result directly, personally? Now I know that sounds far fetched, but it is possible because you know administratively, maybe he is not the one who's physically receiving the results of that test. Maybe that goes somewhere else. and we ju- But that is a question he needs to be asked and answer because it is a possibility. We don't know that yet. I don't know what the specific rules and regulations are in Serbia. When I, when I went for my PCR test, which turned out to be uh, positive here, um, the rules were that I had to isolate until the receipt of my the receipt of my results self isolate until that result came through mm. um, 
I don't know what the situation is in Serbia. Um, has anything else pertinent come to light in this quagmire of a situation? We we finally heard from Craig Tiley, didn't we, after uh, several deafening days of silence it's very unusual for Craig Tiley to to be silent on matters he's very he he's a very good public communicator isn't he and he was silent for a number of days and when he did finally uh, give uh, a television interview which he did yesterday about 24 hours ago um, he was a very sheepish looking I, I thought he looked like a a pretty harassed man, to be honest. Maybe as you'd expect, but there was a part of me that sort of just somehow still expected him to come out and be, you know, Teflon Craig Craig Tiley, who's always bullish about things, you know, and he he really looked quite broken, I thought. Yeah, I saw that. And I think that that is is as uncomfortable as I've ever seen him look, quite honestly. He, 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 there was nothing he could say and in in many ways and I think that that's why we've had the silence from him for four days that does not happen if you think over the years of all the situations that he's had to deal with he's always had the right thing to say or at least something to say a version of events that that is acceptable to him and that he's been comfortable talking about in this one he wasn't comfortable because he's right in the middle of it and one of the things that was put to him is that the Victorian government or the authorities are saying it's that you've stuffed up. And he was very quick to say, well, I'm not going to point the finger of blame at anybody. And subsequently, we've had this set of results come out. And I suppose, really, that's what he was hoping for, is that the that the judge would rule that the authorities are to blame. And now Djokovic can play the tournament, he is hoping. And Perhaps he can he can weather it because it's it's a really really difficult position he's he's found himself in maybe because of their own making that is still to be determined where the where the errors have come out in terms of the actual process of getting to the the point of his his exemption not being accepted. Assuming the the, the current state of affairs remains. Um, and the immigration minister doesn't decide to cancel his visa. I realise this whole segment of the podcast could go out of date uh, imminently, but I'll proceed with it anyway. When we come to do our predictions in a few days' time, what on earth do we do with Novak Djokovic? Because before all of this, he would have been the clear favourite for the tournament. Surely, with, with with any sensible person. Okay, maybe Medvedev close behind, but, you know, he's a nine-time champion. We don't have any data points for any situation remotely like this. How on earth do we try and assess the likelihood of him winning a 10th title in two and a half weeks' time? And I think there's probably two schools of thought. I know Simon Briggs, I saw tweeted today that he thinks, you know, in a world where Novak Djokovic plays the Australian Open next week, as you said, still feels like we're quite a long way from having confirmation of that. But if he plays, Simon Briggs thinks this could be a Novak Djokovic with a point to prove, a defiant Novak Djokovic, one sort of taking on the world and... We've seen in the past, that's a very, very good version of Novak Djokovic on the tennis court, a very dangerous version. 
there's perhaps also an idea that he might not be any in any fit state to compete, maybe particularly physically. You know, this has been five or six days he's spent in very unideal circumstances, not getting the preparation he would want. He's obviously supremely fit, but he's also he's finely tuned and every little detail, every little margin makes a difference, I should think, in his preparation. So he's he's lost something there for sure. And also just what it's done to him mentally. I suppose there's a as I said, there's an idea that he might sort of you know, use all of that as fuel, but it could also it could be too much. And of course we I think we have a decent idea of what sort of reception he's going to receive, but I don't think we know quite how extreme it will be, quite whether it will affect him. I think in the past when crowds have been against him, that's often been a good thing for him. He's used that. But if they're so against him, if they're distracting him, if they're interrupting him, if it's properly hostile, which we don't know, but is got to be a possibility then that could harm him um you know i've i've spoken about reaction there another important thing which happened today were really ugly scenes in melbourne after after the hearing where lots and lots of people i mean i'm guessing a lot of them were serbs a lot of them were djokovic fans for sure gathered outside uh, the offices i think where his his lawyers were and there were just ugly scenes. The police used pepper spray to break up the crowd. It was it, it was real mayhem on the streets. And, and I must say, I did think it was disappointing that Djokovic's family did not denounce those scenes in that press conference. In fact, they did. In fact, they did the opposite, and they they sort of praised them when really mm, that, that shouldn't be they happening. Calls, called them, yeah, um, and. Um... Yeah, who knows if that will will continue in in tomorrow into tomorrow whether whether that will be a, a factor in the minister's decision. You know, who who it's a genuine worry what could what could happen in terms of in terms of rioting and the ugliness of of those scenes um, if his visa is now cancelled. Should we talk about some tennis so that there is at least some of this podcast, which is guaranteed not to go out of date because we have some results, some titles, some trophies, which are set in stone uh, in tennis history and some some really, really interesting ones, actually. Um, we're going to start in Melbourne with the catchily titled WTA Melbourne One. Um, I'm going to tell you that uh, after a week... I have not I have not got to grips with the tournament titles at all. Um I when navigating the app I've been completely befuddled at every stage. Bring back the Great Ocean Road Yala Trophy Open, I say. Uh those were halcyon days. We just didn't know it at the time. Anyway, in WTA Melbourne 1, Simona Halep Beat Veronica Kudamatova 6-2, 6-3 to win the title. A lovely uh, boomerang uh, trophy. And a happy Simona Halep is such an infectious thing. And my goodness me, she looked happy with that trophy, didn't she, David? Yeah, she did. And actually, there was there was a moment when Darren Cahill, who's no longer her coach, just sort of walked into the stadium when she was victorious and she was just delighted to see him and and, and just sort of it, it, it threw you back to to 
what she was like before she she had injury problems and that sort of thing. It's great to see her start the year in in this vein. And I mean, she ended the the tournament in, in such great style, winning the tournament comfortably in the end over Veronica Kudermetova. But my mind went back to watching her on Friday in the quarterfinals where she was in total charge against Victoria Golubic and that ended up being a real tussle. She lost the second set 7-5 and that could have been a moment that she starts tailspinning. We've seen that in the past and she just dug in. And, uh, and I mean, we'll talk about Ash Barty later and I think there was a similar situation with her. These players occasionally need just a match that they have to get through and then their quality and their pedigree and their experience starts to come to the fore. And Halep could be a real contender for the Australian Open. She doesn't get really talked about quite so much, I think, at that tournament and particularly now. It feels like, well, she's won her big grand slams, but a bit like Angelique Kerber, who's gone in and out of the conversation and still ended up winning several grand slam titles a year or two apart at times, I think Halep could be a real contender, right in the mix there. Mm. Oh, he said in the mix. He's gone early with the mix, Matt. I thought I'd bring that back for 2022. <laughs> um, you know, I'd heard uh, I'd heard retirement rumours about Simona Halep last year, or certainly that she was, you know, starting to think in that that direction. Um, but I think I think she seems completely rejuvenated. Um, I. Yeah, I d- she just she looks so refreshed, and ha- maybe she's finally the perfect amount of happy. Uh, Matt, we always talk and remember, don't we? Uh, I think we brought it up the other day. Um, Mary quizzing her and her French Open title defense. You know, are you are you too happy? Um, and you know, maybe there is such a thing for some tennis players, but she just she looks happy in her tennis. Um, which is a very, very good thing, I think. And I'd love to see Simona Hallett be a force at this Australian Open. We also saw the return, speaking of people we'd love to see be a force, uh, of Naomi Osaka at WTA Melbourne 1. <laughs> um, tell me what we learned, Matt, about where Naomi Osaka is at this week. I think it leads on quite nicely from the discussion about Simona Halep, actually. And the word that came to mind was happy. This was a much happier Naomi Osaka than the last time we saw her, which was at the US Open when she said she was going to take a break from the sport. She said she did take a break and it actually sort of didn't didn't help her fall back in love with tennis because she never fell out of love, I think. But that love for it got overshadowed by a lot of other emotions that she was feeling last year. And just stepping back, taking a break, she realised what she did like about tennis. So, you know, she said she's never taken a break. You know, she's just, as soon as she was on the path to being a professional tennis player, that was it. This was a chance to sort of step back. And I think we've seen a lot of athletes recently, actually. Nomi Osaka leading the way, Simone Biles as well. Rory McIlroy springs to mind as someone as wanting to separate their sense of self-worth as a person from their results and their performance in their sport, you know, in Osaka's case, on the court. And she said that quite openly in a press conference this week. She said, I have one goal for the year and it's unrelated to results. And it's just to feel like every time I step on the court, 
I'm having fun and that even if I lose, I know that I'm trying things out. I'm maybe learning, trying to improve as a player rather than sort of setting goals of winning titles. Just try and find that joy back in her game again. And I think, you know, if she was assessing herself her first week of the season, she would say she did that because in all of her matches, wins against uh, Korne, Petkovic, Zanevska, um, she won pretty easily most of them there were a couple of tight moments but looked content on the court and played really well I thought so it was a positive first week for Osaka she then pulled out of the event before the semi-finals saying that the back-to-back matches had taken a bit of a toll on, on her body but you know obviously that's a shame but I did also think Osaka's done that before just before a Grand Slam, and she's gone on to win the Grand Slam, the US Open in 2020, last year's Australian Open. In many ways, that strikes me as, you know, possibly a good sign that she's saving herself. She feels like she's perhaps ready for a Grand Slam. Wow. Okay. Red, do you mean ready, ready to play a Grand Slam or ready to win a Grand Slam? Maybe both. Maybe both. But, Maybe both. But for her, I think most importantly, ready to play and just ready to mm. see where it takes her that's the key isn't it because we know she's got the game there's no there's nothing for her to prove as long as she's happy and in the right space mentally and feels good and is happy to be playing and enjoying it and she made that point so strongly that she just wants to enjoy playing the sport and if she's doing that she can absolutely win anything she enters on that on this surface anyway uh, the reason uh, that Darren Cahill was so was so available to um, to congratulate his former charge, Simona Halep, when she won WTA Melbourne one, is because his new charge, uh, Amanda Anisimova, was busy winning WTA Melbourne two. <laughs> um, was it the same stadium? I'm trying to work out how mm. they organise. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. No, they used the. Uh, the Rod Laver Arena for those finals. So, spoiler, Rafa Nadal, obviously, it was kind of weird seeing him win on Rod Laver Arena and it wasn't the Australian yeah. Open. At least it wasn't called WTA Melbourne 3 because uh, I couldn't have coped with that. I mean, I didn't really cope with uh, <laughs> with it as it was. Anyway, Amanda Anisimova uh, won WTA Melbourne 2. She beat Alexander Sasnovich, 6-1 in the final um and she i just read the um the instagram post she put up which made me feel really emotional actually about what the title means to her and um how she wishes her dad could have could have been there to to see her to see her win that title um of course she she lost her dad her dad died really soon after her big breakthrough in the sport and it has been an incredibly difficult time for her since then I mean there's obviously been a pandemic on top of that but she has been somewhat in the wilderness really um and this collaboration with Darren Cahill is one that I find really really interesting because I just don't think he would bother with somebody that he doesn't see hunger in I mean, he's he's obviously seen her backhand, Matt, and thought, yes, please, I have some of that. But I don't think, you know, the forehands and the backhands are enough for Darren Cahill. I think he would need assurances about her desire and her determination and, and commitment to the sport, which I, I think has been something that people have questioned in her over the course of the last couple of years. Entirely understandable reasons for any of those things 
maybe not being at 100%. But I see this as a real indicator that she's she's in this now and there's maybe a, a mental gear change. And my understanding is that she was the one who initiated this partnership. She contacted Darren Cahill over the off-season and, you know, I suppose just that would indicate her commitment, her wanting to be involved with him. And I don't. I think there are question marks over how long it will go on for. I think even as much as the Australian Open is in doubt because of Darren Cahill's prior TV commitments, but they're trying to work around that and, and get something sorted, I think, for the Australian Open. As you said, I think it's been great for Anisimova this week. She seemed to be playing without without much of a burden, with a lot of freedom, I thought. There, you know, she was producing her absolute best tennis. And I think to do that, she needs to be free on the court because it is so expressive, so many winners that she tries to hit when she plays her best. And as you said, she's, she's still only 20. You know, it's, it's three years since she won her first title in Bogota, I think, and then had that amazing run at the French Open. She was so young then. She's still really young now and yet as you said so much I don't know so much life has happened to her in those last three years and she's had to deal with so much she has dropped in the rankings a lot I think she's she's been down around 70 80 in the world it's it's been difficult for her and I've I've really felt for her so again you know kind of the theme of this podcast so far is hopefully people being or the second half of this podcast people being in a better place um and and i hope she's one of them because yeah i want to see more of that backhand by the way darren cahill uh, i've heard him say in the past that he tends to think that after about four or five years you've given a player all you've got pretty much there's not really much more you can say to them and i suspect that's where he arrived at with with halop she'd and she'd achieved everything really and i I, I imagine when he's looking at potential players, I remember us talking about whether it might be a coach, he might be a coach for Emiratikanu a few months ago. And the one thing with, with that is she'd already climbed the mountain. Now, that it's not to say she's not going to win multiple Grand Slams, etc. But with Anisimova, I, I look at her and I think, well, there's a similar talent. She is not that much different in terms of raw materials. I don't think she moves anything like as well as Raducanu um, at the moment. But in terms of shot construction and shot making ability, she's right there. She's she was seventy in the world last week. I think she's in the sixties now. She is probably the worst draw that any top player could possibly have at the Australian Open because she could take out anybody pretty much if she's on and. What Darren Cahill, as Matt says, this may be short term, but if whether it is or whether it's longer term, if he can help her get the be- get the potential out of herself, movement aside, I don't know whether the movement is is going to be restrictive to her potential or not, but surely it's pretty much limitless, and she could knock out any top player in the first round at the Australian Open and have a run. I mean, she's right there in terms of ability. Sabalenka will be looking for a name in the draw, won't she? Just yeah. going to say Sabalenka yeah. quaking in her boots, yes. <laughs> yeah. It's a couple of big big losses, isn't it? I kind of think she got thrashed by her a couple of years ago yeah. in the Grand Slam. At, at the Aussie? I was courtside for the one at the Australian Open, took my breath away, and then um, the French Open, I think, as well, and... Sabalenka started the season hitting 18 double faults in her loss to Kaya Yuvan. It wasn't a great start. 
I remember coming back from courtside of that match and just going the the backhand the 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 backhand. <laughs> it's it's still the 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 purest hit I think of all the all the great backhands. That it's the one that I just look on. You including in the Roberts, at. the Roberts in that. Yeah, I mean I've been on the end of that. The Roberts, um, the Rios. So it's close. All the great ones. <laughs> Um, right then, moving on to WTA Adelaide, another catchy title. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was a double for Ash Barty. Uh, she beat Elena Rabakina 6-3-6-2 in the final. She'd also beaten Iga Shvontek in the semis in straight sets. And Shvontek had looked to be in awesome form. Um, and she won the doubles with uh, fellow Aussie Storm Sanders. I mean, maybe I need to... Re- regret uh how firmly i poo-pooed our listener that proposed that she might win the calendar slam this year um <laughs> obviously early days but she does look awfully good yeah she does uh, and i and i was referencing with halep having her dodgy match against uh, victoria golibich and with with barty it was in the first round or the first match she played against coco golf and i i turned that on and she went to set down and 4-2 down in that match. And she was so rusty. She was putting balls out of court that she never misses. And and Goff was playing really well. Goff had won her first round match for the loss of three games. I was looking at her and thinking she looks uh, even more of a force than she did a year ago. And she's going to incrementally build and become a factor. And I, and I just could not see a way that Barty was going to win that match the way it was going. I left. I went and picked up my kids and I came back. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what big wireless does. They charge you a lot. We charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hello, Tennis Podcast listeners. David here. Now, you might know that I love a bit of cooking, and I think I'm quite good at it. But if I'm honest, even I get fed up trying to work out what to do every night. That's where Home Chef comes in. Being able to put together a delicious meal without the long prep and the cook times, well, that's pretty cool. Home Chef provides fresh ingredients and chef-designed recipes conveniently delivered to your doorstep to simplify your cooking experience. They have over 30 options a week and serve a variety of dietary needs so you don't have to worry about what to make ahead of time. Not only is it convenient, but it's economical too. Home Chef customers save an average of $86 per month on groceries. Now, for a limited time, Home Chef is offering Tennis Podcast listeners 18 free meals plus free dessert for life and, of course, free shipping on your very first box. Go to homechef.com slash tennis. That's homechef.com slash tennis for 18 free meals and free dessert for life. 
You heard it right. 40 minutes later, and she'd turned the match around completely. And uh, and I and I, I to be honest, I don't. Matt, I think Matt saw more of the end of it than I did. But that was a, a, a telling moment for me that she turned that around. She got through the rust. I mean, this was her first match in about four months, wasn't it? And um, and then from there on, nobody came near her. She thrashed world class players. You mentioned Sviantek, um, Rebecca. Um, she she was just awesome. It reminded me a lot of her victory in Miami last year where she had a tough first round match. I think she had to save match point in that one in Miami. And then once she got through that, she just was superior to everyone else in the tournament. And that is what happened this time. As as David said, she turned it around against Goff, found her forehand, I think, down the stretch of that match, and then never looked back. And honestly, there was a freshness about her I think you know understandably playing at home again finally um, having not played for a while I think she turned that rust in the first match into freshness for the rest of the week and there was a confidence and a calmness about her the whole time and if anything she looked even better and you know she had even more authority on the court she she looked even more composed I thought than she has in even some matches last year which was a great great year for her she's now won this is a stat from Matt Trollope she's now won 17 of her last 18 matches against top 20 players you know whenever she comes up against the best in the world she is proving herself to be better it's actually you know, sometimes like a Shelby Rogers at the US Open or, you know, occasionally she'll come unstuck against someone you don't expect. But in these big matches, she's winning them. And the one against Sviontek, I think, in Adelaide was the perfect example. She just, she looked so much better than Sviontek. And I didn't think Sviontek played that badly. She's got a just a real trust in what she's doing, Barty. And I think that sets her up well for the Australian Open because... She treats it as just another tournament. She's so process-driven. You know, there are some players who, when they treat a Grand Slam like just another tournament, I think, ah, but I want to see a bit more from you at a Grand Slam. I want you to peek at those those slams, you, looking at you, you Carolina Pliskova. Yeah, yeah, exactly. But with Barty, I think using her same approach is what's going to work for her because of that belief that she has, that trust she has in her process. And... She's in She's in such a good place. She's pulled out of an event this week, I think, to rest a bit more, but she's got everything she needs from Adelaide. Mm. Yeah, it was an absolutely stunning week for, for Ash Barty in Adelaide. Moving back to Melbourne now for ATP Melbourne. <laughs> it's, just, it's just awful. I'm anyway, yeah. <laughs> two, two big mistakes have been made by Tennis Australia recently. Uh, and uh, one of them is the naming of these tournaments. ATP <laughs> Melbourne. Um, no, I, I'm I'm being facetious. Um, but the this the, the bring bring back Yara, what's it? Um, was won by Rafael Nadal, uh, which is just incredible. Just an incredible thing to be saying, really. Rafael Nadal. Uh, is unbeaten in 2022. Uh, he beat, now this is your opportunity, this is your moment, David. He beat Maxime Cressy, 7-6, 6-3 in the final. A serve-volleying Frenchman that has taken David's 
he, he's stolen your you can heart, say breath David. Away. You can say to- <laughs> no, I won't say that. He's stolen your heart. He's put a twinkle in your eye, David. Are you sure you don't want to do Rafael Nadal chat first? You're allowed. <laughs> nope, off you go. Okay. If well, you could look- weave in a bit of Nadal to your lauding of Maxime Cressy, that would be two birds and one stone. I will leave Rafael Nadal to Matt, but I because I was really only watching the other end of the court. And that is Maxime Cressy. And uh, look, I, first of all, it was great seeing Nadal back. And I was amazed, amazed to see him looking as healthy as he did and, and as good as he did. He looked fine to me, which is just wonderful, really. But Cressy is the answer to all my prayers. This is the this is the man I've been waiting for to come into tennis and return a a mode of the sport that was extinct and that is serve and volley tennis because he serves and volleys first and second serve every single point now um there's a couple of things about it one is um it's it's an experiment to me to, because I've been wanting to know whether it's possible. Can you do it these days? Can you do it with the strings they use, with the courts they use, with the athleticism of all the other players, with the ability to return and move? Can Could a Stefan Edberg... Now, I'm, I, I don't know whether Maxine Cressy is even fit to lace Stefan Edberg's boots as a servant volleyer in the long run. We'll find out. You know, he's, he's in the embryonic stages of his career. H- but, how old is he? Is he is he super young? 24, but he's been, he's only Where's just he turned pro, really, Catherine. He, okay. he actually, uh, believe me, I've read up on Maxine Cressy. I've read every <laughs> press conference. What's he been doing for the first way? <laughs> he's been at UCLA. He's been in college. Okay. And, um, and he did the whole college system. Quite interesting. I mean, as you can tell, he's got a French name. He's got a bit of a, a bit of an accent he was born in Paris and he came through the French system and the story goes that they tried to talk him out of servant volleying and he just wasn't having it so he 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 upped sticks basically and went to America and he's representing America now and he he went through the whole college system he wasn't prodigious as as a coming up but he just he just grew into his game, and it. And I mean, he's. I think it's it's one of those things. He's six foot six, and he really doesn't look six foot six on the court. And the reason is because he's wearing a back to front blooming cap, just like Matteo Berrettini, and ruining his six foot sixness. It with is a not back to possible front cap. to have aura and wear a backwards baseball cap. No, I will try to get that to him at some point you've got to ditch well, I that imagine thing. you'll be commentating on all of his matches at Wimbledon David <laughs> because he's over six foot five probably so, yeah um, and when people hear what I think of him which is look it's it's just such a breath of fresh air to me to watch a, a guy who's who's prepared to back this type of game and he backs it wholly and wholeheartedly he he really believes that it can discomfort any opponent and um during his run to to this final he beat Grigor Dimitrov in the semi-finals and he was three match points down and he just kept on coming and he's got good athleticism for his size he's got a really big serve I mean it's it's big first and second and he's got quite an interesting back end it's not I can't think of that many great serve and volleyers over the years who had a double-handed back end and he has one and he sort of goes between the occasional slicing approach and more often he's got a proper big two-handed backhand that he thrashes and then comes in. So it feels like he's almost 
melding two generations here. He's 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 joining up that old serve and volleying chip charging approach of of the eighties with a more modern approach and able to hit the living daylights out of the ball from the back of the court. Um, and it's just I just I'm so invested in seeing whether he can make this work. And I, I, I'm unashamedly a fan of, of his now. I, I mean, I'm going to, if I commentate on him and if I talk about his matches, I'll try very hard to be impartial. But I hope it works. I genuinely do because it could bring out of extinction this brand of the sport. Um, and he also seems like a really nice bloke. He's, he's mm. in, he was interviewed afterwards. He seems so approachable and, and happy to be there and happy to, to throw what he's got at the at the other players and and I I love the way Nadal said you know if he carries on using this type of game I think he will prevail and I don't know whether Nadal was just being nice because he is nice in in after he's just beaten him in straight sets um but he was pushed it wasn't a total drubbing it was, it was a tiebreak first set that final and I mean I think I was trying to work out we've seen Maxi and Cressy before and I I didn't get like this about it and I think probably because I just assumed you can't do this. You can't make this work. This is one good match and you'll go away again. And I don't think I was convinced by it. But this run, I think it's doable. If he if he can stay fit, if his body can deal with what he's going to have to put it through to serve volley first and second serves every time, then I think that this game is going to cause people nightmares. He's, he's another name to asterisk when the Australian Open draw comes out, isn't he? That's going to be very interesting indeed. Um, Nadal did win the title, though, and the the quotes from Nadal afterwards, he, it's all about sort of what he doesn't quite say. You know, he says, this one means a lot because of everything. And you just, there's so much in that everything isn't there? And he said, there was this lovely little quote where he said, I I don't want to say that I deserve this because I don't believe I deserve anything, but I really worked for this. And there was just something in the way he said that, that you really heard, or I really heard this comeback has been hard. You know, these comebacks are not getting any easier for Rafael Nadal. And what I heard in that one is that he really perhaps doubted whether he ever would be lifting a boomerang again. Um, and that this really, really does mean something to Rafael Nadal. Yeah, totally. I think this this comeback's been different for two big reasons from some of his other ones. Mainly, he's a lot older now, which makes it harder, I'm sure. And B... That foot is is his real problem area. I mean, I know for most of his career, a lot of the talk has been his knees, but it was his foot which almost ended his career before it even started way back. And just like you said, it's it's all in what he's not saying. And, and, and I think it's been bad for Nadal. It really has been bad. I think when he came back in Washington in the summer last year, I think that probably shocked him a bit how far off it he was, you know, because he hadn't played since the French Open, but he was he was still visibly struggling with that foot in Washington. Here, as David said, he wasn't struggling, I think. You know, I, I think the final was perhaps a bit tough to tell simply because of Cressy's game style. 
Nadal wasn't having to do a lot of really long rallies and really long, you know, sort of dynamic movements across the court. Well, it was dynamic movements, but it was sharp movements. It wasn't sort of endurance-based movement, which I think is what we saw take it out of him at the French Open against Djokovic. Um, so I think there's probably still progress for him to make with that foot, but it's a really good sign. I mean, he beat Barankis, he beat Rusevori, he beat Cressy. I mean... Those are players he could draw in the first round of a slam. You know, let's think important to keep the perspective here. It's a, it's a, obviously great that he's won a title. I'm, I'm so pleased to have Nadal back. But there are, there are bigger tests coming. You'd think at the Australian Open. You know, it's, it'd be interesting to see him play. You know, a top twenty player to really properly gauge where his level is. But good signs for sure. So Nadal, a winner in. Melbourne over in Adelaide named ATP Adelaide uh, <laughs> Guillermo Fies was a champion so our men's champions in the first week of the season are Guillermo Fies and Rafael Nadal no it's not 2006 um, it just it just feels like it um, he beat Karen Hashinov 6-4 6-4 in the final there and maybe it's just perception or com- confirmation bias but it feels like there's a real galvanizing in the tennis world of feeling that oh my god we've just got to enjoy Gamalfis for what he is for however much longer he's around because tennis will be the poorer for it we've all we've all let go of our wishing that Gamalfis could be something a bit different and we've all totally understood what he is and we're now treasuring what he is and clinging to it, I think. Mm. Yeah, th- th- that's right. It certainly is for me. I- I've I spent too many years worrying about what, what, he, what I thought he should be and trying to pigeonhole him and, and move him into my view of the world. And, and that that wasn't fair, really. And, and actually, he brings joy and he's still incredible as a mover I mean to be the age he is and there were points that had me gasping and there weren't showboating points these were just showing what he's got and um, I wonder whether maybe maybe he might even be more effective now in the in the next year or so by maybe having some of that pressure lifted a little bit that expectation just enjoying it and I don't. I don't really care. I just loved last week. I was tuning into his matches just because it's him, and he's going to bring a show and and bring stuff I can't see anywhere else. And it, and he's just he just seems like a great guy too. And actually, I, I was thinking it's been a really tough week, hasn't it? In in the sport for so many re- for, for for all the reasons around the Djokovic story, but we've just reeled off one after another. Quite quite uplifting stories from within the sport they're not going to make many headlines you know it's the back half an hour of our podcast today but they they make me feel better oh on the court I really think it's been a brilliant opening week of the season so many good stories lots of interesting champions and just for Monfils the thing I found interesting this was the 18th season in a row he'd reached the final which is an incredible record and it's such an un-Monfils record, in my opinion. Like, I don't associate him with that sort of level of consistency. You know, I associate him with moments and coming up with bits of magic on the court and highlight reels. But I think that does show he has 
also backed all of that up in a meaningful way over the years. He has, okay, maybe not done what we all thought he could, should. He still achieved a lot. Um, And, you know, it it was a year ago that he left the Australian Open in tears, wasn't it? And Crying about his mum. He's got his spark back, I think. And he's, you know, he's rediscovered why he likes playing tennis. And that is Mm. good to see. Mm. The final result uh, to to bring you all up to date with uh, is the ATP Cup, where Canada are the champions. They beat Spain in the final. And what does this mean for whether or not Felix Auger-Eliassime has finally won a title? Oh, I don't really count it. Is that Matt? harsh? No, I don't think I do too, but now I but I feel bad about it. I've not it. thought about that at all he, until you said it. Yeah. What do you think, Matt? I feel strongly that it doesn't count, but I also feel pretty strongly that it's going to have helped a lot. Ooh. And I think in particular the fact that he was the one who had to win it. You know, Denis Shapovalov probably played the best tennis he's played since Wimbledon last year, set Canada up with a win over Krenja Buster in the first singles in the final. And then it was down to Felix Auger-Aliassim against, you know, the metronome, Roberto Bautista Agu. You have to play well to beat him. If he played the way he's played in previous finals, he was going to get thumped. And he played brilliantly. You know, I think I think Bautista Agu actually forced him to be consistent. And then that sort of weight of shot that he's got meant that he took over the rallies and he had too much for Bautista Agu. It was a really nice balance to his game. I think Bautista Agu was tired. He'd, he'd played a really long match against Hercatch in the semifinals. But but still, I think it's significant that Felix Auger-Aliassim got the winning feeling and he was the one to do it. I think that sets him up. There's still... He still needs to go out there and do it himself. You know, this this doesn't mean that he goes on to win titles, but... We have seen it, you know, in, in a much larger scale. We've seen it with Novak Djokovic, what winning the Davis Cup did for him. Now, it's, this is mm. different because I think that was a real target. That was a sort of season-long objective for Djokovic, which he finally achieved. And, you know, it just meant so much to him. I don't think Felix Auger-Aliassime has been targeting the ATP Cup for the last six months or nine months. It just sort of happened to fall now and this was his chance and he grabbed it. But I'm I'm fascinated by what it could potentially do to him because there were some moments where it sort of revealed what we thought we knew about Auger-Eliassim. He, he was close against Medvedev and then he just got taken apart and, and got thrashed by Medvedev. I think we, we saw he's still quite far off the absolute top, but he also beat Zverev and he also got a win against Bautista Agu when he needed to. So definite, definite progress for, for Felix, I think. But... Definitely not the first title. Did you did you learn anything important, David, this week from the ATP Cup? Are we going to make any sweeping predictions on the basis of things that we've seen at the ATP Cup? Well, I'm by more we, con- I mean you. I'm I'm more convinced that Daniel Medvedev is the favourite for the Australian Open, um, based on what I saw. He he just looked. I know he lost the, the match against um, Ugo and Bear at the start, but. That match he played against uh, Auger Eliassim, he was just awesome. Matches I saw throughout the week, in fact, he just he just looked so in the zone 
And uh, I, I was impressed with Ogier. They see him against uh, Zverev. He st- he, he, his sort of rally tolerance of dealing with a guy as big hitting and relentless as that. And he matched him and he beat him in the end. But he still misses shots that I can't quite understand. Why has it gone wrong there? And why has it gone wrong long? You mm. know, and, and in that way, I still don't quite understand why Ogelia seems game occasionally breaks down. But definite big strides taken over the last week. But the biggest one for me has, has to be Medvedev. I know that he, he, Russia didn't win this thing, but he really feels like the favourite to me. And I know, and I know there's the... Uh, the unknown over Djokovic. I do think there's a chance that Djokovic comes out and, and me against the world attitude and is 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 awesome. That if if he ends up being out of play, um, but I also think that there's every chance, as you you reference Matt, that he might get shocked by the reaction in in the stadium and it might might upset him because he's not hearing all that dissent from from the people that he's probably exposed to at the moment. That might be unsettling. It's it's also quite possible, and this is good for the sport, I think, that we have a situation now where just in pure tennis terms, Medvedev is a match for Djokovic. Even at his best, even at his most defiant, even if you know the, this situation plays positively for, for Djokovic and brings out all those qualities which have won him so many of his slams, Medvedev might just be too good at mm. tennis for him on the day if they do end up meeting. You know, he is that good now. It does feel like, Djokovic is having to change his game to beat him now. Mm. Which, uh, yeah, which, well, he certainly did in Paris. Yes, when that, they that's played, the one that I was, was very of. interesting. Yeah, mm-hmm. um, we've got a few more days before we have to make predictions. <laughs> who knows who'll have been expelled from the country by the time we have to actually predict uh, who'll win the thing? Um, yeah, look, that's what's happened in tennis this week. It's been um, it's been quite a week. But as you as you both point out, a brilliant week on the court, a really cracking, uplifting, well set up start to the tennis season. So let's let's briefly focus on that, um, and the fact that the tennis podcast is going to be in Melbourne for the Australian Open. Matt and I are travelling on Wednesday. Visa permitting, we think it's all in order. We've checked, double checked, triple checked. Uh, we went for our fit to fly PCR tests today. Um, and we're going, we're going to be there. It's going to be great, I hope. And that is thanks to Friends of the Tennis Podcast. Um, your support and your becoming friends of the show has made this possible. And I can't thank you enough for that um because it's important it's important that we go to these things um i i I get the feeling this slam more than any actually being there and being able to speak to the players and really get a sense of things on the ground is going to feel very important indeed so we hope to bring you that added value in the daily shows that we'll be doing from melbourne so thank you very sincerely to everybody that has become a friend of the tennis podcast yeah absolutely thank you very much that is that is us heading into the storm it does feel like a little bit but um also also very very excited about being there um won't be the same without david but we will we will make the absolute best of it that we can for the podcast yes i I was I was trying to come. <laughs> I was included on the uh, the initial Airbnb booking that we had, and then uh, my long COVID 
reared up and said, no, no you won't, son. <laughs> You're staying at home and uh, need to get over that over the next few months. So I'll be looking to join as many of the podcasts as I can from home, watching every moment of Maxi and Cressy's matches <laughs> and uh, giving you everything I David will just like. be doing a separate Maxi and Cressy podcast <laughs> for, the, for the diehards. <laughs> For, for friends of the tennis podcast that's your bonus content just <laughs> a monologue from david great to have you both there because I, I i'm i'm buzzing to hear all all of your stories and everything that you see and hear and feel and that's what it's all about really and um you know it's it's not easy to to be on site these days for many reasons and and for us as a media outlet now to be able to send two of our presenters on site well because of all the support we've had is just really uplifting. Yeah. It's tremendous. And look, um it it's ongoing. It's it's open ended, Friends of the Tennis Podcast. You can join at any time. Um there is a, a brand new Friends episode available, my first Australian Open. There'll be two editions of Tennis Relived coming this week. One of them will be about the men's event in two thousand two, which is of course the the twentieth anniversary of that tournament. I can't quite believe it's 20 years david's been speaking to thomas johansson just this morning of course who's the very unexpected champion that year and then uh, we'll have uh, a second relived episode later in the week we'll have details about that in tomorrow's tennis podcast newsletter so sign up to that details in our show notes as always uh, same with signing up to become a friend of the pod if you'd like to listen to those shows um it's also the final week uh, that you can sign up to our predictions competition um so if you want to do that you need to do so this week before the first slam of the season kicks off and you can predict maxine cressy to win Every title of the year, if you like. That may or may okay. not be what David Law is doing. Uh, <laughs> so take him on. Uh, take all of us on. Um, and, yep, yeah, you can do that via Friends of the Tennis Podcast in our show notes. We've also got one guest editor slot remaining uh, and a private podcast slot remaining as well. So, um, yeah, flying off the shelves, folks. Get it, get it while you can. Uh, we have a mascot for this week, and it is Fluffy, uh, owned by Alison Martin. Alison says of Fluffy, my pet weekly mascot nomination is a bit different. Fluffy McFluffster is a little black cat that lives near me in Southfields, London. She very much likes to explore the neighbourhood gardens, and though I don't know who her owner is, she is clearly a very well-looked-after happy cat. Most days she visits my garden. The reason I've chosen to nominate Fluffy as a mascot is for what she represents during lockdown, a frequent visitor who brings enjoyment and distraction in times when many people have been alone, in many ways like David, Catherine and Matt of the Tennis Podcast. And that is so, so lovely. I'm 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 bowled over by that. Thank you, Alison. Um, and I do wonder, actually, I have a very uh, close friend, my former flatmate, actually, Liv, who lives in Southfield, London, and also um, is visited by a fluffy black cat every day. Um, and I'm starting to wonder if uh, if this is this this uh, fluffy is just a bit of a tart. Um, <laughs> going around and visiting everyone um could be the same cat anyway uh thanks Alison. thanks fluffy 
uh, and we'll try and do some investigations as to whether it is the same cat. Uh, thank you also to our mascots. Carter is mine. Hello, Carter. Gerald is Matt's. David's got Darwin. Billy Jean has slept through this whole podcast. In fact, about halfway through, about when we were having our argument that's been ed- edited out, David, she did a big yawn and covered her face with her paw. So, um, Billie I did Jean that. Is, I feel is, you, Billy Jean. <laughs> She's sponsored by Billie Jean King and Alana Kloss. Uh, and we have our two top blokes, Chris Albert Lee and Kyle Weingartner. Kyle has um, elected David not to be called a diamond geezer, which Kyle, I think, is a tremendous choice. Yeah. I, see, I didn't know, Kyle, that it has a different meaning in America to what it has in Great Britain. So I, I'm quite happy to just say two top blokes. Two top blokes. Okay. But others, other suggestions, you know, are welcome for what Kyle could be. But uh, for the moment, you are a top bloke, as is Chris Albert Lee. Uh, we have shout outs, Matt. Who are they for? Just before we get to those, Catherine, I am astonished that we have made it an hour into the podcast and you have not mentioned, and I'm going to do so for you, the good person that I am, that... You got your prediction correct in the very I first week my of the season. Correct. And I made, I feel I made like Carter that in, needs a, to in know a that. COVID haze. Yes, I did. I was actually worried that it didn't that prediction didn't register because I couldn't when I submitted it, I couldn't remember and I wasn't feeling very well at the time, so I couldn't be bothered to check which tournaments Mona Halep was actually playing in, whether it was WTA, ATP, Melbourne, one, two, three, four, or five. So I just wrote Halep to win whatever she's in this week. <laughs> she did this with COVID, folks. I yes. mean, what, we're in trouble. Mm. That is how much thought and, and I don't know, research goes into Catherine's <laughs> predictions. And, I mean... <laughs> I check drawers and everything, and I never get one right. <laughs> anyway. It, 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 it doesn't was, really count, though, Matt, because uh, the ultimate predictions entrance that has subsequently come in now resets all the scores to zero. Ooh. Not true. <laughs> no, not That's true. a conversation for anyway, off air. Anyway. No, don't spark another argument. <laughs> right, Matt, shout-outs. Shout-outs, yes. We have um, Matthew Moffitt. From Ooh. Paris, Texas. All right, Ooh. Matthew. Hello. Mm. Hello, Matthew. Matthew, uh, Matthew likes Matt virtually every Matt? tweet we make. Yes, um, he does. Does he? Oh, great. So I really like Matthew. <laughs> I do like I do like alliteration. So well done, Matthew Moffat, on having an alliterative name. And thank you. We have Priyanka Dobson from New Jersey. Oh, right, is, this, is this an American special of shout outs? Um, let's, or if, let's go with North American. North American. Okay. Okay. New Jersey, <laughs> of course, famous for Amanda Anisimova and Bruce Springsteen. Yeah. What a place. And Priyanka's dog, Phoebe, was our Grand Slam oh, mascot yes. last year, French Open. And Priyanka says she's a loyal listener as well. Hello, Priyanka. Excellent. And finally, we have Christiane Savoie from Moncton. In the province of New Brunswick, Canada. Oh, wow. hello. That sounds great. I don't know where it is, but I want to go. Christian Savoie. Mmm. Mmm. Great. Well, that's a... It, it, French, French spelling? S-A-V-O-I-E. So, yes, I think they... I think they... Ooh. I think New Brunswick... 
Is French an official language as well as English? I think it probably is over there. Yes. And extra information, she has a Havanese puppy named Fanny. Oh, hello. Hello. We like that. Hello, Fanny. I, I do Thanks like all, all this. I do like all this supplementary pet information. You do. Think how much I like in. it. We're sneaking in Extra to um, sectors that aren't supposed to be about animals. I like that very much. Uh, right. This has been a bit of a bumper tennis podcast. I hope you'll understand um, because there's been quite a lot going on in the tennis world. Uh, we'll keep you posted, folks. We got you covered. Um, yeah. Don't worry, we've got plenty of podcasts coming your way this week. Daily, during the Australian Open, Matt and myself there, David here, just in a Maxime Cressy echo chamber. Uh, Thanks for listening. We'll speak to you soon. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 